when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Hello, my name is Sarah Peliquin, and I am welcoming you once again to Restoration History. I just read you the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. It was United States of America's Declaration of War, as well as its Declaration of the Right Granted by Nature and Nature's God to Self-Governance. And that's an important thing we're going to be getting into as we discuss America's history and its founding fathers principles and values that created this nation i'm going to finish reading the rest of the declaration it's not going to take that long and i just really want you to listen in and hear the words that they speak especially when they talk about how they appealed to the king of great britain and asked him again and again for him to address their grievances and hear them i want you to listen to that and i want you to hear the reasons why they chose eventually to separate from the mother country it wasn't as we would like to believe this one thing about taxation without representation and we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode it was a whole list of grievances they listed them out over and over again in different ways that the king had abused his powers and had refused to allow them to govern themselves that was the reason why they got into the war and that was the reason that they had for continuing to build a government based on that self-governance think of those words and listen to the rest of the declaration we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world." He has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended he has utterly neglected to attend to them. 
He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions from within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefit of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas, to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among, amongst us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions." In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince, whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. 
We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of co-sanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Did you hear how many grievances the declaration listed against the King of Britain? There were 27 of them. One of them out of those 27 had to do with taxation without representation. And yet that is the only one that public history books, public school history books teach nowadays, that that was the only reason why we went to war with Great Britain. And what a sad thing that we would choose to completely dissolve our bonds with our mother country in order to form another country just because of an economic issue that we had with them. That's not at all the purpose of or the reason why our founding fathers decided to fight Great Britain. That was one of many complaints that they had against the king of Great Britain. And yet that is the only one that we focus on. This is the rewriting of history. In the 1920s, a bunch of public school educators decided that they wanted to remove any trace of spirituality, religion, biblical references to our historical founding. And so they decided to focus on one thing in the declaration that they could they could twist history just enough that it would have a little bit of truth in it, but it would not cover all of the other things, it would not be able to delve into all of the other reasons why we we fought. And so they ended up basically just dissolving all of the reasons except for one and saying that our reasons for leaving Great Britain had to do with the economic issue, taxation without representation. <laughs> 11 times legislative abuses were mentioned, seven times military abuses, four times judicial abuses. Not one of those have to do with taxation without representation, and yet the only one that they mention is taxation. So this is the rewriting of our history, and it is very important that we read these old documents, not because they represent a distant past and it's good to memorialize it, but because they represent our future, they represent all of the problems that are going on in our present because we are refusing to acknowledge that these documents, not only the Declaration, but the Constitution as well, 
that those documents had everything to do with our right to self-govern. That right came not from government. It came from an almighty God, an almighty creator, and the laws in nature that he had established long before America ever came to be, long before Great Britain ever came to be. Every other country, every other nation has risen and fallen without establishing and acknowledging these very important and vital truths. I shouldn't say every other because Israel is one of them that established that, that there is a a right given to us by God to self-govern ourselves. But the problem is, is that most nations in the world, especially in the Western world, have decided that God has nothing to do with it. And this is such a dangerous place to to put ourselves into, and it's exactly why we are where we are. So I read the declaration because I wanted you to get that into your head. I want you to read it for yourselves too. It's not just me reading it, but there is something to it about hearing those words and understanding that there was more, much more to the founding of our nation than this tiny little complaint that they had that was the least concern that they had it was one of many and it was not the straw that broke the camel's back the biggest thing was that they were no longer allowed to govern themselves and they were the great britain was using its military might against them in order to suppress and oppress their rights um, and their god-given rights that was the big thing so the Declaration of Independence is one of my favorite documents. Um, I would have to say that the Constitution is my next. These two documents put together are are as humanly possible as it can get, as perfect as it can get, um, written by human beings. Um, only the Bible comes anywhere, uh, goes anywhere further than than perfection. But this that's another conversation. What I want to focus on is that. Our nation was founded on biblical principles, and it had amazing men who, while imperfect, were able to write these words very carefully, very thoughtfully, and after much deliberation, much argument, this was not an easy decision for them to come to, and yet they did because they knew that if they could not establish a country, a nation that acknowledged God as their head, not in a theocracy. I'm not saying a theocracy at all. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of leftist people in my life who tell me that we Christians just want to establish a theocracy. That is not at all what what they were trying to establish. But they did all of them, every single uh, founding father, at some point acknowledged the fact that there was a biblical precedent for establishing the nation as they stood in the Declaration and the Constitution and. So I want to go through that. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get to that in this episode, but I will be starting to at least give you an overview, and I'm hoping that that will help to establish where we're going with this. I absolutely love our history, and I want to give an honest look at what what actually happened as opposed to what we're learning in our public textbooks. So did you know that... As of 2016, that was the last numbers that they had, there, are, there were 192 nations. That changes from year to year because wars, insurrection, all of that stuff. So that isn't always the same number, but uh, roughly 192 nations. 
Um, and we just celebrated our 232nd birthday of the Constitution this week. Um, I didn't get my podcast out on time um, for that, but I did want to acknowledge that, that we have had one single Constitution for 232 years. I don't know if you realize how rare that is. On average, a nation will have a Constitution for 17 years only before war, division, whatever else happens, comes in and completely demolishes that, and they have to rewrite a new one. So France has had 15 constitutions. Poland has had, since 1919, seven constitutions. Russia has had four since 1917. Afghanistan has had five since 1923. The U.S. is the most stable nation in the world. We like to say that Great Britain is, is the most stable. It's been an empire for so long and all that. It's not true. Even Great Britain has not had a single constitution in all of its long history. So we have had one constitution for 232 years. And unfortunately, we've lost the the value of that, the absolute rarity of that occurring in any nation, any empire on earth. We have 4% of the world's population, and yet we have 31% of the gross domestic product in the entire world. We have fewer resources than South America, Africa, um, other big nations, um, and yet we are able to manage those resources more wisely and more efficiently than any other nation in the world. I'm not saying we do it perfectly, obviously, but at the same time, we are the most stable nation in the world. In 1831, Alexis de Tocqueville, a Frenchman, came to America and wanted to discover what made America so great. This is in 1835. He actually wrote an entire book on the subject. He introduced the idea of American exceptionalism. That's not saying that America is perfect. What it is saying is that because of our founding principles, because of the Judeo-Christian principles that we founded our nation on, we have something that no other nation has, and that is the values and the integrity and the honor of knowing where our rights and our freedoms came from and acknowledging that creator God. That's where American exceptionalism comes from. Because we can acknowledge the creator, we can also acknowledge that every gift that he gives us is from him alone. And that is an amazing situation for me. And the sad part is, is that we have so come so far from that original intent of the constitution of our founding fathers that we have, we've lost that. And we're living on borrowed time. There has never been an empire that has lasted when God is not at the helm. Um, and that is something that is both absolutely terrifying and it should also be absolutely motivating for us to stop turning our backs on where this nation is heading. And as Christ followers, we need to make a stand and we need to not sit idly by while our nation destroys itself. We're in a post, post-truth culture, they call it. And that's very, very true, unfortunately. The irony of that um, is that we have decided to redefine truth as anything that an individual believes to be true 
And so we've taken the objectivity of truth, the absoluteness of truth out of our discussion and we've replaced it with, well, how do we feel in the moment? How do we live day to day based on who we feel we are that day or who we feel we should be or whatever? We, we've, we've relativized truth and we've made it impossible to have a moral standard. Fortunately, we have a God who is still absolute truth. <laughs> And that is the responsibility, I believe, of every Christ follower to remember that, to acknowledge that absolute truth and to use that in our everyday life. America was once a beacon of hope. It was once a beacon of light and a beacon of biblical principles. And we are not going to get that from the secular culture that has stemmed from years and years of, of Christians in America turning a blind eye. We had founding fathers who had an authentic faith and yet we only acknowledge those in passing terms we don't actually see them for who they were throughout this podcast i will be highlighting certain founding fathers certain historical figures and really delving into who they actually were do you know in the famous painting of when all of the founding fathers were gathered together to sign the declaration which as a side note never actually happened they were all on the run and all considered traitors so they would have to sneak in sign their name and sneak back out and go into hiding again so it's kind of ironic to see this painting that doesn't actually depict the true nature of the history of that moment but at the same time there's something motivating and something inspiring about it because here were all of these great men who came together with all of their differences and all of their myriad problems and all of their myriad imperfections and they managed to create an almost perfect document and then another almost perfect document in the constitution later on and that to me is very motivating but regardless we can look at those and in our history books we hear time and time again oh that you know thomas jefferson was a deist ben franklin was possibly an atheist i mean there's all these different things we pick out you know one or two of these famous people and we 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 lump them all together and say well all of them had to have been that way none of them in fact in was it the 1940s 1960s trying to remember the exact date there was an actual article um, and this was in order to encourage the idea of godlessness in America, an actual article that stated that the founding fathers were the enemies of Christ, that they hated Christianity. How absolutely false that is. <laughs> and I, I wish you could see my desk right now. It is covered with books and articles and documents and writings from the founding fathers obviously i don't have any of the originals but i've managed to collect them from the national archives and all over from various sources i wish you could see my desk and see how much i have been delving into history and realizing that even the people like thomas jefferson who has been completely lambasted as a human being he was he raped his slave. He um, was a, a deist, maybe didn't even believe in God to begin with. He cut up his Bible and took out all the miracles. How many of us just believe that blindly without actually going in and, and reading what he actually wrote? It's just amazing to me that we are willing to accept a bland history textbook 
rather than seeking out and these these resources are available but we don't look for them anymore because we're willing to just trust the experts we trust the experts in everything what makes them an expert other than the fact that they have a degree and a name or and and letters behind their name there was a time in this nation where education meant studying for oneself proving to oneself the truth so that we could on our own come to the conclusions that were right and true education has changed so much in america we've we've basically become a propaganda machine and we are destroying the minds of millions of this these new generations coming up aristotle said educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all the definition of educate that i found in the 1823 dictionary of Dan, uh, sorry no webster said to bring up as a child to instruct to inform and enlighten the understanding to instill into the mind principles of art science morals religion and behavior to educate children well in one of the most important do is one of the most important duties of parents and guardians we've given up that duty to the public school system to the colleges and universities we've relinquished that duty that was once given to us by god it's still been given to us by god but we've chosen to step down and we've chosen to ignore our role in that so we've ra we're raising generations of children who not only hate to learn but they choose to just soak in because that's all they know they soak in the opinions and the ideologies of a devastating and evil ideology evil belief that there is no god and that there is no meaning and no purpose and so we look at history that way and we take the joy out of it we take the the love of learning from it and we raise a generation in ignorance and despair because that's where that leads thomas jefferson he has recently become my absolute favorite founding father i used to love george washington and i i've been reading about thomas jefferson book after book after letter after letter and article that he wrote and and i'm just realizing what a strong man of character and integrity he was and we will i will definitely be exploring his life a little bit more so you can see that but i i'm sitting here just brimming and almost trembling with joy at being able to share these things with you charlotte mason is uh, actually the woman that i am inspired by in my own homeschool educating she had ideas far beyond her time and she definitely had a, a different way of looking at education but yet at the same way same time it was one of the oldest views of education in the books about parents having an active role in training up and raising up their children not raising children but raising adults who would be well informed who would love to learn and who would know how to learn as well how to explore the world that god had given them and place them in one thing she says is we do not merely give a religious education because that would seem to imply the possibility of some other education a secular education for example but we hold that all education is divine that every good gift of knowledge and insight comes from above that the lord the holy spirit is the supreme educator of mankind 
and that the culmination of all education, which may at the same time be reached by a little child, is that personal knowledge of and intimacy with God in which our being finds its fullest perfection. God was our first educator. (laughs) He placed Adam and Eve in a garden. He instructed them in what they were to do, and then he let them explore and create, tend and care for the garden using the gifts that he'd given them. This was the idea that the founding fathers had. They were given an education by God in his holy word, and they were to use that to tend to and have dominion over the land that God had given them. Do you realize how much of the scripture has completely immersed itself, not only in our Western culture, in our language, in our art, in our science, in our history, in all of that. It's absolutely amazing to me that we don't acknowledge that very important part. And I am coming down to uh, the end of my talk here, um, but I want to impress on you the knowledge that This is the first in many parts of just expounding on this knowledge and really giving you a glimpse into what America really was intended to be and how God has played such a strong and powerful role in even the development and building of this nation. So I want to sign off right now and wish you all a good evening (laughs) and a happy Constitution Week as well. 